And we're coming now to our Bible reading, uh, and uh, I want to hand over to one of our young people, Grace, who will uh, read God's Word for us today, and then Gareth, our other minister, will come and share God's message for us, to us today. Grace. This reading is taken from Luke chapter 2, verses 36 to 40. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Peniel, of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage, and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, but worshipped day and night, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. When Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom and the grace of God was on him. Grace, thank you so much for reading from God's Word for us. Folks, it's good to see you. Um, uh, My name's Gareth, and we're going to step into these words now and to listen for what God has to say to us. Let's pray for a second before we do. Heavenly Father, we thank you that every time your Word is read, your voice is heard. And even though we're scattered right across this city and right across this world today, you are present with us and you're speaking to us because your heart is for us, Lord. So help us to listen, help us to hear everything you would say in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I want to start this morning by sharing a story of a young girl. She grew up in a village, nothing spectacular, nothing exceptional. She she had a very simple ambition in life. She she wanted to marry her childhood sweetheart. She wanted to set up a home and have children of her own, to live close to where her parents were, and to raise her family. And then tragedy happened. A few years after she got married, her husband was killed. He died. And all of those dreams, all of those hopes that she had were lost in that moment. That girl was Anna. We, we, we don't have all of those details of Anna's life who we've been reading about this morning, the early part of her life, certainly. But we can guess at what happened. And as a young woman of about 20 years old, she was left on her own with a choice. Do you curse God because of the tragedy that has come upon you? Or do you cling to God? Anna clung to God. Our story, my story, it's it's different. It's, It's tragic in a different way. Lara and I got married. I was 25. She was 21. Four years later, our daughter, Karis, was born. And then a year later, our son, Archie. Some of you know this story. Some of you may not. But Archie, when he was two months old, had a bleed in his brain. He was born with what doctors call a malformed venous abnormality, a little blood vessel that didn't quite form properly. 
And the result of that bleed was just massive damage to his brain. Some of the worst epilepsy we had ever seen. Disability. He wasn't supposed to walk. He wasn't supposed to talk. We spent months of the first years of his life in hospital between the Royal and the Ulster and even Great Ormond Street. At times we thought he wouldn't live. And in the midst of it, we had that same choice that Anna had. Do we curse God or do we cling to God? We clung to God. That kind of suffering, that kind of fear, when it's, when it's up close and personal to you, it, it does something to you. It, it deconstructs you in some ways. It strips back all of the unimportance. And in the process, you, you start to discover a strength, a resilience, a peace that just wasn't there before. And it does something to your faith as well. It causes you to ask questions where before you were content to settle for cliches. Whether it's bereavement or whether it's, it's sickness and suffering of a loved one. Or today in the midst of COVID-19 and all of the fears surrounding it. There are faith questions that rise to the surface, things that, that deserve to be asked and deserve to be answered. And, and first and foremost is this, and I apologize if this comes across crudely, but, but the question in so many heads and hearts today is, did God do this? Did God orchestrate this? Did God do this thing that we're having to endure and suffer? There was a North Antrim councillor who a few weeks ago sparked an awful lot of debates when he announced that, that the COVID-19 virus was God's judgment on the world and on the West and on Northern Ireland for passing legislation and allowing abortion and same-sex marriage. I don't know what your thoughts are on that. But to answer the question, did God do this? You have to understand something of sovereignty and God's sovereignty. The Bible, it, it's really clear. It says that God is sovereign, that he is in control. But does that mean that he predetermines every single choice that's ever made at any time? Does that mean that he, he, he chose to allow COVID-19 to happen and he chose to... Uh, allow and enable legislators and governments to make decisions that pass policies that allow abortion on demand. And he chose to enable an individual to choose to have an abortion. Is that what sovereignty means? That every detail of our lives is predetermined? The Greeks call it fated. Uh, Muslims call it kismet. Is that what sovereignty is? Or is God's sovereignty perhaps a little bit less mechanical than that? Less like the instructions you get with Ikea flat pack furniture where every step, every screw, every nut, every bolt is laid out and predetermined. Even the wee funny circle things that you twist the cat. You know what I mean? Or is God's sovereignty more like a divine weaver? 
where he takes the threads of human free will. He takes all of the choices that that we have made and he weaves them together into his perfect plan and he brings all things towards his conclusion. Yeah, yeah, I know, of course, there are moments in the Old Testament when God sends plagues on Egypt. And there are moments when he intervenes in wars to alter the course of history. But John Lennox, the Oxford professor, reminds us that there is nowhere in the Bible that he talks about COVID-19. So let's be very careful when we attribute things to God and when we don't. What I do know, though, is at the cross, God's judgment for sin falls on Jesus and not on humanity. And in the resurrection, God begins his kingdom project of making all things new. Suffering and sickness and pain and death are are part of the world that we live in. And they're part of the reality of a world that is separated from the fullness of the presence of God and the rule of God. These things, the Bible tells us, are the consequence of sin. Now, sometimes those consequences are directly related to the the sinful choices we make. You know, consistent overeating over a lifetime, it leads directly to diabetes and heart disease. Consistently overworking leads to, to stress and other medical conditions. Choosing to have an affair or engage regularly with pornography, it leads to broken marriages and a list of mental health problems. Sometimes we can see sinful choices leading to to consequence and brokenness and pain. But, but, But sometimes it's indirect. Brain bleeds in babies, incurable viruses. No one caused them. You can't point a finger at any one person or any single choice. God didn't cause it. The fabric of our universe is broken, and the consequences affect all of us. But I love what the Apostle Paul says in Romans 8, 28. And in in this little verse, he summarizes the, the swathe of Bible teaching from Old to New Testament. He says, in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. It doesn't say God causes everything to happen, but it says that God is able to gather all of those things up and work out good through them. C.S. Lewis, our East Belfast boy, he says it like this. They say of some temporary suffering, no future bliss can make up for it. Not knowing that heaven, once attained, will work backwards and turn even that agony into a glory. The second question I want to pose this morning that I, that I hear people asking in these days um, 
If God didn't cause it, then why doesn't he step in and stop it? Maybe you've asked that question yourself. Certainly the Bible shows us a God of miracles. I believe that that Jesus calmed the storm. I believe that Jesus healed the sick. I believe that Jesus raised the dead. And I believe that Jesus still does those things today. But I also believe that miracles are rare. By their very definition, they are miracles. There are moments when Jesus raises the dead, but there are moments when he he stands and he weeps with the grieving. That's what we see in Scripture. And just like at the pool of Bethsaida, not everyone experiences healing this side of heaven. With Archie, our own son, we have been blessed to experience some of the best care that NHS doctors and nurses have been able to offer. It has been absolutely incredible. They are heroes. But we've also seen miracles. Archie is now walking, running, talking. He never, ever shuts up. Yet he still has developmental delay. We're working through a diagnosis of autism. His experience of normal is different than yours or mine is. I I would give anything for, for Archie to be healed. Yet the journey that my wife Lara and I, that we have went on with him, that journey of suffering and fear and pain and loss, it, it has strengthened our marriage. It has brought us to a deeper awareness of God's presence and God's peace. It's given us a resilience in our faith that has been tested time and time again. It it has given us a deeper capacity to love God. I I would never, ever choose Archie's condition. Never. But I also don't think that I would have learned what I've learned about God And I don't think I would have learned what I've learned about myself without walking through that pain and that suffering. All week, I've been wrestling with questions about suffering and sovereignty as I've tried to listen to discern what what God wants me to say. I've poured over Scripture. I've sat contemplatively in prayer with God. I've surrounded myself with books written by Sproul and Keller and Lewis and Greg and McPhee and, and, and so many others, people who are so much smarter than I am. And on Wednesday afternoon, the, the sun was shining. I was sitting in the back garden because why wouldn't you when the sun's shining? And I had these books piled up and I was reading and I was making notes. My head was pickled, totally frazzled. And Archie came out our back door, out the patio doors. And he walked past me. He walked over to the swing set in our garden. And he sat down on the swing. He said, Dad, push me. Push me on the swing. And I I put the book down. I put my pen down. And I walked over. And I I pushed Archie on the swing. And I pushed him again. And he laughed. And I pushed him higher. And 
He laughed, and, and somewhere in the midst of it all, the Holy Spirit turned up in our back garden in Orby Park. And an ordinary moment became a sacred moment. And I felt God say to me, I know that you have questions. And I know that I haven't answered every prayer that you've prayed. But Gareth, know this, I am with you. And we lingered in that moment for a while. I do have questions about suffering. I do have questions about unanswered prayer. I am deeply suspicious of anyone who tries to say there's an easy answer to this stuff. There just isn't. But when I look at the cross, when I look at that moment when the God who created the universe stepped into our world, that moment when he chose to experience our pain, when he chose to experience our suffering so that it wouldn't define you and it wouldn't define me. When I look at the cross, I am totally, totally convinced that the answer is not that God doesn't care. I am totally convinced that the answer is not that God doesn't love you. His word tells us that he loves the world so much that he gave his only son so that whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have eternal life. God loves you. In lockdown, in loneliness, in fear, in isolation, in sickness, in suffering, in pain, God loves you and God is with you. And in this season, I I think we can respond in, in, in three different ways. We can respond in despondency. We can can give up on God. We can curse God. We can walk away. We can say this life is all there is. And you can choose to do that. But let me ask you, if you do that, where is your hope? Where is your hope? Let Let me invite you into a second option, not despondency, but debate. Debate. Talk about this stuff. Engage in conversation with with other people about it. And our home group program going forward, we're going to be talking about the stuff that we talk about on a Sunday morning. And you can join a home group. Just email Susan in the office and she'll give you information about it or connect with us on social media. And connect with other people and talk about this stuff. Debate. But best of all, let, let, let me encourage you into devotion. Not despondency, not debate, but devotion. Like Anna, cling to God. Like Anna in the story today, reach for the God who is reaching for you. And Anna's response just shows us some practical ways to respond. Fasting. Fasting is the deconstruction of things in our life that leads us to a dependency upon God. COVID-19 and isolation has stripped things back from our life. It has deconstructed our life. We are indirectly fasting. Use that time and that space to look to God, to move towards God. Another thing Anna did was prayer. Prayer isn't simply reaming off a list of things to God that you might like. Prayer is the pursuit of God's presence. 
It is posturing yourself towards God, telling him what's on your heart, what your longings are, and listening for his voice. Anna devoted her life to the pursuit of the presence of God, to prayer in the temple, and and her reward was to meet Jesus. She got to meet Jesus. Fasting, prayer, and then finally generosity. I, I don't know about you, but I have been blown away this week by the story in the news, the good news story in the news of Captain Tom Moore, 99 years old, who has been spending the last number of days walking up and down the garden where he lives to raise money for the NHS. He's raised millions of pounds. It's incredible. Using what he has to inspire and help and bless others. Anna, after she met with Jesus, she chose to reach out to other people and to bless them and to encourage them and to help them. And and my question, and I finish with this, In pain and suffering, you have the choice to collapse in on yourself or you have the the choice to choose to release hope and generosity to others. What does it look like to give your life away and in this season of suffering to release, to choose to release hope and generosity to others? Let's pray together for a moment. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time together this morning to worship and to be honest about our fears, to be honest about the questions that we have. And and right now in this moment, we, we take those fears, those feelings of loneliness, the uncertainty about the future, the financial struggles, the anxiety around health, the the separation from loved ones. We take all of these things that are breaking our heart and we hold them out to you. And we say, come Holy Spirit, grant us even now in our living rooms a sense that we are not alone, that the sovereign God is here with us. And we say yes to you, Lord. We surrender every part of our lives to you. Just as you were willing, Lord Jesus, to surrender every part of your life for us. In Jesus' name, amen.